imagine a world where crops constantly fail, where harvests can't keep pace with the growing demand of a surging population, and where the spectre of hunger looms large over vast swaths of humanity. Such was the fate of our ancestors, and in many ways the introduction and development of fertilizers changed the trajectory of human civilization. At its core, fertilizer is a substance that is added to soil to supply essential nutrients that plants need for growth and development. Though the concept seems simple, the story of fertilizer is one of innovation, discovery, and profound impact on global food security. Every living organism requires a certain combination of elements to thrive. For plants, the basic needs boil down to sunlight, water, carbon dioxide, and a mix of essential nutrients usually drawn from the soil. Over time, as crops are grown and harvested, these vital nutrients are steadily depleted from the soil. Unless replenished, the ground becomes increasingly barren, leading to reduced yields and, eventually, barren fields is where fertiliser comes into play. Think of it as a multivitamin for the soil, a source of replenishment that ensures plants get the essential nutrients they need. Whether it's the vital macronutrients like nitrogen, N, phosphorus, P, and potassium, K, or the equally crucial micronutrients like zinc, copper, molybdenum, fertilisers play a pivotal role in ensuring that our soils remain arable and productive. Nitrogen, N, primarily sourced from ammonia, NH3, and converted into various forms like urea, ammonium nitrate, and ammonium sulfate, nitrogen is a protein synthesis in plants. In the soil, Bacteria convert these nitrogen compounds into nitrate, NO3, which plants absorb readily. This conversion process, called nitrification, can raise the pH of the soil, making it more alkaline. Phosphorus, P, derived mainly from phosphate rock, phosphorus fertilizers such as monoammonium phosphate, MAP, and diammonium phosphate DAP are key for energy transfer in plants. In the soil, they can react to form various phosphates that plants can uptake. However, in alkaline soils, phosphorus can form less soluble compounds with calcium and become less available to plants. Potassium, K, found in potash, a naturally occurring potassium chloride salt, potassium is essential for regulating plant functions like enzyme activation. When applied to soil, potassium remains in its ionic form, K+, and is taken up by plant roots. Over time, the application of certain fertilizers can make soil more acidic. Ammonium-based fertilizers, for instance, release hydrogen ions as a byproduct of nitrification, thus lowering the soil's pH. Acidic soils can limit the availability of certain nutrients. To counteract this, agriculturalists apply lime, calcium carbonate, to neutralize the acidity. The calcium in lime replaces the acidic hydrogen ions in soil particles, raising the soil's pH. Beyond the primary macronutrients, plants also need micronutrients like zinc, copper, and molybdenum. However, these can become available in certain pH conditions. To circumvent this, micronutrients are sometimes supplied in a chelated form. Chelation involves binding the micronutrient with an organic molecule, keeping it soluble and available for plant uptake irrespective of soil pH. While chemical interactions dominate discussions around fertilizers, their influence on soil's physical properties cannot be understated. 
organic fertilizers such as compost and manure improve soil structure making it more porous which enhances air circulation and water retention. This facilitates better root growth and microbial activity, fostering a healthier soil ecosystem. Chemical fertilizers, especially when applied excessively, can leach into groundwater or run off into waterways, leading to nutrient pollution and the proliferation of harmful algal blooms in water bodies. Moreover, certain chemical processes like the conversion of excessive nitrates back into nitrogen gas by denitrifying bacteria can release nitrous oxide, a potent greenhouse gas. Long before the advent of modern agriculture, early humans intuitively understood the principle of soil fertility, likely through observation of nature. They noticed, for instance, that plants thrived in areas where organic matter decayed or where animal droppings were abundant. This basic observation led to the earliest and most rudimentary forms of fertilization. Ancient China, circa 2000 BC. Ancient Chinese farmers recognized the value of organic matter. They practiced carp aquaculture in their rice paddies. The fish excreted waste, which acted as a fertiliser and helped, and also helped control pests. This symbiotic relationship between fish and rice provided both a source of food and an organic fertilisation method. Ancient Egypt, circa 1500 BC. The Nile River played a pivotal role in Egyptian agriculture. Its annual flooding deposited nutrient-rich silt onto the fields, naturally rejuvenating the soil. While this wasn't fertiliser in the traditional sense, it was a natural form of soil enrichment. Additionally, there's evidence that the Egyptians also utilised gypsum and the ash from burnt plants. Ancient Greece, circa 800 BC to 600 BC. Greek writers like Homer mention the use of manure in agriculture. By the time of classical Greece, the practice was well established. The philosopher Xenophon wrote treaties on agriculture, extolling the virtues of manure as a soil enhancer. Ancient Rome, circa 500 BC to 500 AD. Roman agricultural writers, including Cato, Virgil and Pliny the Elder, discussed the benefits of various types of manures and composts. They recognised that different soils had varying needs and tailored their recommendations accordingly. There's also evidence of Romans using crushed bones, a source of phosphorus, to enrich their fields. Ancient Americas the indigenous civilizations of the Americas employed innovative agricultural practices. The Aztecs, for instance, developed Chinampas, or floating gardens. These man-made islands were incredibly fertile, enriched with mud from the lake bed and organic waste. Terra Preta, which translates to black earth in Portuguese, is a type of very dark, fertile, anthropogenic that's man-made, soil found in the Amazon Basin. This rich charcoal-infused soil stands in stark contrast to the region's naturally occurring, relatively infertile soils. Its existence offers tantalising clues about ancient agricultural practices, sustainability and the potential for modern soil management techniques. Contrary to initial assumptions, the fertility of the Amazon was not uniformly spread. The rainforest, for all its above-ground bounty, often concealed soils that were nutritionally deficient. This was the landscape in which ancient Amazonians lived, but rather than being mere subsistence farmers, they emerged as adept soil scientists in their own right. Through a combination of careful observation and trial and error, they realised that the addition of charged organic matter, remnants of everyday life, and fragments of pottery could transform their infertile plots. Over generations, 
These mixtures enriched with biochar evolved into the highly fertile Terra Preta. Biochar's contribution to Terra Preta was multifaceted. Its porous nature enabled the soil to retain water, a boon in a region subject to periodic dry spells. Simultaneously, its ability to capture and hold nutrients prevented them from being washed away during the rainy season. The interaction between the biochar, organic matter and the native soil created an environment conducive to microbial life. This thriving microbial community further boosted the fertility of Terra Preta, making it an agricultural goldmine. Terra Preta, while rooted in antiquity, holds immense relevance in contemporary discussions about sustainable agriculture. Modern researchers have shown a renewed interest in this ancient practice, exploring how biochar production can serve dual purposes, enriching soils and capturing carbon. Manure is one of the most famous and natural fertilizers. One of the primary ways early humans likely recognized the value of manure was through keen observation of the natural world. After animals grazed on a piece of land, they left behind excrement. Over time, it would have been observable that plants growing in these areas appeared more robust and yielded more. As humans began domesticating animals, they would have noticed the lush growth around the areas where animals were corralled. Over time, connecting the dots between animal waste and increased plant vigour would have seemed logical. With the shift from nomadic lifestyles to settled agricultural communities, there was a need for practices that ensured long-term soil fertility. Continuous farming can deplete soil nutrients, and using animal manure as a replenishing agent would have emerged as an effective solution. Early humans relied heavily on fire for warmth, protection and cooking. After burning wood, the residual ash was likely discarded or spread around. Over time, humans might have observed that lands where ash was spread had more flourishing vegetation. While ancient civilizations did not have the scientific tools to analyze wood ash, they would have recognized its benefits empirically. Wood ash is rich in potassium and lime, essential nutrients for many plants. Moreover, the alkaline nature of ash can neutralize acidic soils, making them more conducive to agriculture. As with many agricultural practices, the knowledge of using wood ash would have been shared among communities. Trade, migration and simple word of mouth would have played a role in disseminating this valuable information. The British Agricultural Revolution refers to a period of significant agricultural development and change in England from the late 17th to the late 19th century. This revolution paved the way for the subsequent industrial revolution by increasing food production and freeing up labour. The British Agricultural Revolution wasn't a singular event, but a series of innovations, improvements and practices that, over time, radically transformed the English countryside and the lives of its inhabitants. Prior to this period, farming was largely subsistence-based with rudimentary techniques. The agricultural revolution saw a shift towards more commercial farming due to its various innovations in technology and practices. Among the most transformative changes was the widespread adoption of crop rotation, as popularized by figures like Viscount Charles Turnip Townsend. This technique involving the sequential planting of different crops in a field to improve soil fertility and reduce fallow periods led to increased yields. Moreover, the introduction of new crops, such as the potato and turnip, added diversity to the English diet and farming systems. Technological advancements played a significant role too. Jethro Tull's seed drill, for instance, allowed seeds to be sown in neat rows 
rather than broadcast by hand, ensuring more even distribution and better yields. Innovations in animal breeding, championed by Robert Bakewell, led to livestock that matured faster and provided more meat, wool or milk. Integral to the agricultural revolution was the controversial enclosure movement. Previously, much of the English countryside was comprised of open fields and common lands. The Enclosure Acts, passed by Parliament, allowed for the consolidation of these small strips into larger, more manageable plots and restricted common land access. While this led to more efficient farming, it also displaced many farmers, pushing them towards cities and burgeoning industrial centres. The consequences of the British Agricultural Revolution were profound. With more efficient farming practices, fewer people were needed to work the land. This surplus labour became a crucial component in fueling the Industrial Revolution. Additionally, increased food production meant more consistent food supplies and, consequently, a population surge. Furthermore, the revolution laid the groundwork for modern agricultural practices, emphasising efficiency, innovation and scale. The knowledge and techniques developed during this period remain foundational to modern farming. Viscount Charles Townsend, 1674-1738, often known as Turnip Townsend, was an English statesman and agricultural innovator whose advocacy of certain agricultural practices, particularly crop rotation, played a pivotal role in the British Agricultural Revolution. Before Townsend's advocacy, many English farmers practiced a two-field system, in which one field was sown with a cash crop, usually wheat or rye, while the other was left fallow to recover. This meant that at any given time, half the arable land was unproductive. Townsend is best remembered for popularising a four-year crop rotation system. In this system, wheat would be planted in the first year, followed by barley or oats in the second year. In the third year, clover or ryegrass would be grown, and in the fourth, turnips or swedes. Each of these crops had distinct advantages. Wheat and barley were staple foods and cash crops. Clover, being a leguminous plant, fixed nitrogen from the air into the soil, naturally fertilising it. Turnips, on the other hand, could be used to feed livestock during the winter months. Their roots also helped break up and aerate the soil, making it more conducive for the subsequent crops. With turnips and clover in the rotation, livestock could be fed throughout the winter without resorting to slaughtering most of the animals due to a lack of food, as had been the practice earlier. Additionally, the livestock provided manure, which further enhanced soil fertility. By keeping the soil productive year-round and diversifying crops, farmers can increase their yields and ensure a more stable income. The increased productivity of the land under the four-field system meant that less land needed to be left fallow, effectively increasing the amount of cultivatable land. While Townsend did not invent crop rotation, his enthusiastic promotion of the four-field system, backed by his status and successful implementation on his own lands, led many farmers to adopt the practice. Over time, it became a cornerstone of British agriculture. Johann Friedrich Meyer, 1719-1798, was a German theologian and agricultural reformer, known particularly for his role in promoting the use of gypsum's soil amendment and fertiliser. His advocacy for gypsum is credited with triggering a wide-scale adoption of gypsum as a beneficial agricultural input in parts of Europe. While Meyer was primarily involved in theology, he had a keen interest in agriculture. 
a field that was undergoing significant transformation during his lifetime due to the broader European agricultural revolution. In the 1760s, Meyer became intrigued by the benefits of gypsum, calcium sulphate, on his crops. His attention was drawn by farmers from the Haas mountain who had noticed that spreading powdered gypsum on their fields significantly enhanced crop yields. This was especially apparent in leguminous crops like clover. Meyer undertook comprehensive experiments testing the effects of gypsum on various soils and crops. He documented significant improvements in productivity and soil quality in gypsum-treated plots. Armed with his findings, Meyer became a vocal advocate for the use of gypsum in agriculture. He wrote extensively on the topic, urging farmers to adopt this novel practice. His works were instrumental in spreading awareness about the benefits of gypsum among the agricultural community in Germany and beyond. The wide-scale adoption of gypsum as a soil amendment bolstered agricultural productivity in many parts of Europe. This had broader economic implications, supporting a growing population and facilitating trade of surplus agricultural goods. Gypsum acts as a soil conditioner, improving the physical properties of heavy clay soils. It promotes soil aggregation and prevents soil compaction which enhances root growth and water infiltration. Gypsum is a source of calcium, an essential nutrient for plant growth. Calcium plays a vital role in cell wall formation, enzyme activity and cell division in plants. Beyond calcium, gypsum also provides sulphur, another essential plant nutrient. Sulfur is integral to amino acid formation in plants. Unlike lime, gypsum doesn't alter soil pH, making it suitable for soils that require calcium but don't need pH adjustment. Sir John Bennett Laws, 1814-1900, was a pioneering English agricultural scientist who, alongside his research partner, chemist Joseph Henry Gilbert, made groundbreaking contributions to the field of agricultural chemistry. Their combined efforts ushered in a new era of scientific understanding of soil fertility and plant nutrition, greatly influencing modern agricultural practices. Rothamsted Experimental Station Laws founded the Rothamsted Experimental Station in 1843, which is recognised as the oldest agricultural research institution in the world. At Rothamsted, Laws and Gilbert carried out long-term systematic experiments on crop and soils, setting the gold standard for agricultural research. One of Laws's most significant contributions was the development and patenting of a process to produce super, to produce superphosphate the first synthetic fertiliser. Recognising that phosphate was a vital nutrient for plants, but was often unavailable in soils, Laws developed a method to treat mineral phosphates with sulfuric acid, making the phosphate soluble and readily accessible to plants. This invention marked the beginning of the modern fertiliser industry. Under Laws and Gilbert, Rothamsted began the broad bulk experiment in 1843, a continuous wheat trial that sought to understand the impact of different fertilisers and treatments on crop yields. Impressively, the broad bulk experiment continues to this day, making it the world's longest running agricultural experiment. The duo's experiments also delved into understanding the role of nitrogen in plant growth. They determined that while nitrogen was essential, it was often the limiting factor in crop production because of its scarcity in available forms in many soils. This research laid the groundwork for subsequent developments in nitrogenous fertilizers. Over the course of their partnership, 
Laws and Gilbert published numerous papers that disseminated their findings to the broader scientific community and farmers. Their commitment to sharing knowledge helped propagate better science-backed agricultural practices. The Birkeland-Eyed process is a historical method developed in the early 20th century to produce nitric acid HNO3 from atmospheric nitrogen N2 and oxygen O2. The importance of this method stemmed from the need for nitrate compounds, both for fertilizers to enhance agricultural productivity and for the manufacture of explosives. In the early 1900s, global demand for nitrate compounds was rising rapidly. While natural sources such as the salt petrol deposits in Chile were being exploited, they were insufficient to meet the global demand. A viable method to fix atmospheric nitrogen, constituting about 78% of Earth's atmosphere, was thus eagerly sought. The process was developed by Norwegian scientist and inventor Christian Birkeland in collaboration with businessman Sam Eide. They sought a method to capture atmospheric nitrogen and combine it with oxygen to produce nitrates. The Birkeland-Eide process uses large amounts of electrical energy to produce an electric arc between iron or carbon electrodes. This electric arc reaches temperatures high enough over 3000 degrees Celsius to cause the nitrogen N2 and oxygen O2 in the air to react and form nitrogen oxides NO and NO2. The nitrogen oxides produced are subsequently cooled and then absorbed in water, forming nitric acid. This nitric acid can then be used to produce fertilizers or other nitrogen compounds. With financial backing and business acumen from Eide, the duo set up the world's first plant in Nottingham, Norway in 1905. This marked the beginning of Norway's nitrogen industry, which grew rapidly in the subsequent decades. While revolutionary, the Birkeland-Eide process was energy intensive, consuming vast amounts of electricity. Given Norway's abundance of hydroelectric power, this was less of an issue locally. However, globally, this process was gradually replaced in the 20th century by the more efficient Harbour-Bosch process for ammonia production, which was later developed in Germany. In the annals of scientific achievements, few processes can claim as profound an impact on the course of human civilization as the harbour process. At its core, the harbour process, also known as the Harbour-Bosch process, is a method to synthesize ammonia from nitrogen and hydrogen. But in its broader implications, it reshaped global agriculture, provided the backbone to the 20th century population explosion and played a critical role in both global wars and industrial developments. The late 19th and early 20th centuries were marked by a pressing need. The world's population was burgeoning and with it, the demand for food. To sustain the masses, agricultural yields needed a boost. This boost was believed to come in the form of nitrogen-based fertilizers which could replenish nutrient-depleted soils and enhance crop yields. However, a key challenge lay in obtaining a consistent and scalable source of fixed nitrogen. With the atmosphere comprising about 78% nitrogen, the solution seemed deceptively close. Yet the inertness of atmospheric nitrogen made its direct application infeasible. Enter the harbour process a beacon of scientific innovation and industrial determination that transformed the inert atmospheric nitrogen into ammonia, a precursor for fertilizers and numerous industrial chemicals. Developed by Fritz Haber and later scaled to industrial proportions by Carl Bosch, the process didn't just address a pressing agricultural need, it heralded a new age of industrial chemistry and set the stage for geopolitical shifts and debates on ethics, environment and economy. Harbour hailed 
from a well-off German-Jewish family with a merchant father and a mother who tragically died shortly after his birth. After a foundational education in Breslau, Haber studied chemistry at various German universities. His academic journey saw him under the mentorship of several notable chemists of his time. Refining his skills and deepening his fascination with chemical reactions and their potential. The motivation behind Harbour's quest to synthesise ammonia from atmospheric nitrogen was a mixture of national pride, personal ambition and a genuine desire to solve a looming global problem. The turn of the 20th century saw a rapidly growing population, but depleting sources of natural nitrates essential for agriculture. Germany, highly dependent on Chilean saltpetre, sodium nitrate imports, felt this pinch more than most. Harbour recognised that a method to fix atmospheric nitrogen could not only make his nation self-reliant, but also address a worldwide challenge. With this backdrop, he began his experiments to create ammonia in the early 1900s. Haber's first successful ammonia synthesis occurred around 1909. After countless trials and refinements, he discovered that by subjecting a mixture of nitrogen and heavy gases to a very high pressure, around 200 atmospheres, and temperature, around 450 degrees Celsius, in the presence of osmium, or iron catalyst, ammonia could be formed. The reaction, though energetically uphill, was made viable by the conditions and the catalyst. While Haber had cracked the method in a lab setting, scaling it to an industrial level was a different challenge altogether. This is where the partnership with the German chemical company BASF, particularly with Karl Bosch, proved invaluable. Bosch's engineering prowess complemented Haber's chemical acumen, leading to the establishment of the first commercial-scale Haber-Bosch plants in 1913. Haber's brilliance was undeniable, but his legacy is marred by his involvement in chemical warfare during World War I. He championed the use of chlorine gas as a weapon, leading to the infamous gas attacks, a dark chapter in the annals of warfare. His commitment to his nation during wartime, however, came at great personal cost. His wife, Clara Imovar, a fellow chemist and pacifist, opposed his work in chemical warfare. Distraught over the ethical implications of his endeavours, she took her own life in 1915. At its essence, the Harbour process is a method to convert atmospheric nitrogen, N2, and hydrogen, H2, usually derived from methane into ammonia, NH3. However, while this sounds straightforward, the actual mechanics involved are intricate and rely on precise conditions and catalysts. This reaction is an equilibrium reaction, meaning that it can proceed in both directions. To push the equilibrium towards the production of ammonia, specific conditions are required. High pressure, typically around 200 atmospheres. Elevated temperature, roughly 450 degrees Celsius. Iron, with promoters like potassium oxide, which accelerates the reaction without being consumed. Atmospheric nitrogen is incredibly stable due to the strong triple bond between its two nitrogen atoms. Breaking this bond to react with hydrogen is no small feat. It requires the high temperatures and pressures mentioned, and even then, without a catalyst, the rate of reaction would be impractically slow. The iron-based catalyst used in the process lowers the energy barrier of the reaction, enabling nitrogen to bond with hydrogen efficiently. This was a crucial piece of the puzzle that Haber perfected. While Fritz Haber developed the method in a laboratory setting, scaling it up to an industrial level brought a myriad of challenges. Karl Bosch, an engineer at the German chemical company BASF, took on this Herculean task. The high pressures required materials 
that could withstand them without corroding or failing. Bosch's efforts led to the development of new steel alloys and fabrication methods. Initial yields of ammonia were low, meaning a lot of unreacted nitrogen and hydrogen had to be recycled back into the system. Bosch developed efficient methods for this recycling process, enhancing the overall efficiency and viability of the industrial operation. By 1913, the first commercial-scale Heber-Bosch plant began operation in Oppau, Germany. It had a capacity to produce 30 metric tonnes of ammonia per day, a figure that seems modest by today's standards, but was revolutionary at the time. The ammonia produced by the harbour process could be further processed to make fertilisers, notably ammonium nitrate. The widespread availability of these fertilisers supercharged global agricultural production. It's often stated that the Harbour Bosch process feeds half the world, as the crops nourished by its products form a substantial part of the global food supply. The process had darker applications as well. Ammonia could be converted to nitric acid, a key component in the manufacture of explosives. During World War I and World War II, the harbour process played a pivotal role in sustaining the German war machine through the production of munitions. The ability to produce ammonia on an industrial scale has not been without its controversies. Overuse of nitrogen-based fertilisers has led to a range of environmental issues, including water pollution and algal blooms. Moreover, Harbour's personal involvement in chemical warfare during World War I casts a shadow on the legacy of the process. In wrapping up this section, the Harbour process epitomises the dual-edged nature of technological advancement. On one hand, it's a life-sustaining marvel of human innovation. On the other, a tool of war and a source of environmental concerns. Its story underscores the importance of not just developing technology, but also thoughtfully considering its application in the broader tapestry of human society. The Harbour process is more than just a remarkable piece of chemical engineering. Its ramifications reached deep into the global socio-political fabric and economy of the 20th century. The impact of Fritz Harbour's innovation went far beyond the confines of chemistry labs, influencing trade, global politics, national strategies and even the outcome of wars. Before the Harbour Bosch process, much of the world's fixed nitrogen, vital for both agricultural and explosives, came from natural sources like chilli and saltpetre. Countries, particularly in Europe, were dependent on these imports. The ability to synthesise ammonia on an industrial scale broke this reliance, drastically altering global trade dynamics and shifting power structures. Germany with its burgeoning chemical industry, was particularly sensitive to the vagaries of global nitrate trade. By adopting the harbour process, Germany not only bolstered its agricultural sector, but also secured a consistent supply of raw materials for its munitions industry. This was a strategic move, lending economic resilience and an element of self-reliance especially critical in the build-up to and during World War I. The synthesis of ammonia paved the way for the mass production of fertilisers, revolutionising agriculture. This had a profound socio-economic implication. Food production skyrocketed, supporting population growth, urbanisation and economic expansion in the 20th century. However, the very same process also enabled the production of explosives on an unprecedented scale, fueling the conflicts of the 20th century, especially the two world wars. Countries that rapidly industrialised and integrated the harbour process into their industrial strategies, like Germany, found themselves with a strategic advantage, not just in terms of military preparedness, but also in their ability to support larger populations and more robust economies. This shifted geopolitical power balances, with nations mastering advanced chemical processes 
often asserting dominance on global stages. The increased use of synthetic fertilizers transformed agrarian societies. While crop yields improved dramatically, leading to economic growth, it also led to significant environmental challenges like soil degradation, water pollution, and loss of biodiversity. These environmental shifts in turn influenced policies, trade regulations, and even international relations as countries grappled with the consequences of rapid agricultural industrialization. The success of the harbour process underscored the potential of industrial chemistry, leading to investments and research in other chemical processes. The 20th century saw the rise of giant chemical conglomerations, shaping national economies and influencing political decisions. Their role in economics often intertwined with national interests, leading to state support and strategic positioning of these industries. The harbour process's significance in the 20th century political economy cannot be understated. It exemplifies how scientific innovation can have cascading effects, influencing not just one sector, agriculture in this case, but reshaping global trade, national strategies, socio-political structures, and even the very nature of global conflicts. As with many revolutionary innovations, it brought both boons and challenges underscoring the need for thoughtful integration of technology in socio-political frameworks. The 20th century witnessed an unprecedented surge in global population. While many factors contributed to this boom, few technological innovations had as profound an impact on the world's ability to support this burgeoning population as the harbour process. The connection between the synthesis of ammonia and the capacity to feed billions may not be immediately apparent, but it is deeply intertwined with the fabric of modern agriculture and the global food supply. Before the 20th century, the food supply was in a delicate equilibrium with population growth. Agriculture was limited by numerous factors, and one of the most crucial was soil fertility. Crops deplete soil of its essential nutrients, and unless these nutrients are replenished, yields decline. Nitrogen, an essential element for plant growth, is abundant in the atmosphere, but not readily accessible to plants in its gaseous form. For millennia, agriculture depended on the slow process of nitrogen fixing by certain plants and bacteria, along with the recycling of nitrogen through composting and the use of manure. This created a natural ceiling on how much food could be produced. The harbour process, by synthesising ammonia from atmospheric nitrogen and hydrogen, provided the means to produce synthetic fertilisers on a massive scale. These fertilisers, particularly ammonium nitrate, could be spread over fields, vastly increasing the amount of bioavailable nitrogen and consequently crop yields. With increased food production, populations grew. And as populations grew, there was an increasing demand for food. This might have created a vicious cycle, but with the ability to produce fertilizers en masse. Food production could keep pace with population growth, at least to a certain extent. This feedback loop of increased food supply, leading to population growth, which in turn demanded even more food, became a defining feature of the 20th century. The ability to support a larger population through enhanced agriculture had a ripple effect across societies. Urbanisation intensified as people, assured of consistent food supply, moved to cities seeking industrial and service jobs. This urban migration, driven partly by the agricultural revolution enabled by the harbour process, shaped the socio-economic and political landscapes of numerous countries. While the harbour process allowed for unparalleled population growth, it also brought challenges. Over-reliance on synthetic fertilisers has had environmental consequences, from soil degradation to water pollution. The sheer number of humans on Earth, all consuming resources and altering habitats, 
has also led to unprecedented environmental challenges. In analysing the population explosion of the 20th century, the harbour process stands out as a pivotal enabler. It's a testament to how scientific innovation can directly influence the fundamental parameters of human society. But as with all technological advances, it comes with a set of challenges that subsequent generations must address. In the grand narrative of human history, the synthesis of ammonia is not just a story of chemistry, but also a chapter in the tale of human civilization's growth and evolution. The relationship between fertiliser and the Malthusian trap is a fascinating one, highlighting the intersection between technological innovation and demographic dynamics. The Malthusian trap, a theory proposed by Thomas Malthus in the late 18th century, posited that population growth would inevitably outstrip food production, leading to widespread famine and poverty. This bleak outlook was grounded in the observation that while population could grow exponentially, agricultural production seemed destined to increase only arithmetically. However, the development and widespread use of fertilisers, among other agricultural advancements, significantly altered this predicted trajectory. Malthus's predictions were based on agricultural practices and productivity levels of his time. He could not have anticipated the technological innovations that would drastically increase food production. The introduction and refinement of fertilisers, particularly after the development of the harbour process, dramatically increased crop yields. This increase in agricultural productivity meant that food production could, in fact, keep pace with or even outstrip population growth, effectively breaking the Malthusian limits. Fertilisers provide essential nutrients to the soil, nutrients that are depleted by continuous farming. By replenishing these nutrients, fertilisers ensure that soil remains fertile and capable of supporting high-yield crops. This was a game-changer in terms of agricultural output. Where once land may have hit a productivity ceiling due to nutrient depletion, fertilisers allow for continued intensive farming. As fertilisers and other modern agricultural techniques like improved irrigation, crop rotation and high yield crop varieties allow for more food to be produced on the same amount of land. It alleviated one of the key pressures predicted by Malthus. Populations continued to grow, but thanks to these agricultural innovations, so did food supplies. The increase in agricultural productivity had far-reaching impacts beyond just staving off Malthusian famine. It facilitated urbanisation and industrialisation, as fewer people needed to work in agriculture to meet society's food needs. This, in turn, led to economic growth, higher standards of living and a shift in the social and economic structures of many societies. While fertilisers and modern agriculture have postponed or even eliminated the Malthusian trap for many regions, they have not eradicated the underlying challenge of balancing population growth with resource use. Overuse of fertilisers, for example, leads to environmental issues such as soil degradation and waterway pollution. As we draw this exploration to a close, let's reflect on the profound journey of fertilisers from the dark, fertile soils of ancient Amazonia to the groundbreaking harbour process that shaped the 20th century. Fertilisers, often seen as mere tools in the agricultural realm, are deeply intertwined with the tapestry of human civilization. They have influenced everything from ancient agrarian societies to geopolitical strategies, from booming metropolises to the great wars of modern history. The terra preta soils of the Amazon teach us about the deep-rooted ingenuity of ancient civilizations. Understanding and manipulating their environment long before modern science provided explanations. As we transition through history, 
key figures like Viscount Charles Townsend, Johann Friedrich Meyer and Fritz Haber exemplify humanity's relentless pursuit of knowledge, each shaping agriculture in distinct and powerful ways. But beyond the individuals and their inventions, fertilizers and the ability to harness the power of the earth and its elements have served as a mirror to society's aspirations, needs and at times its darker tendencies. The harbour process, for instance, brought forth both life in the form of food and potential destruction in the form of explosives, a poignant reflection on the dual nature of human innovation. In the contemporary age, where we grapple with challenges of food security on one hand and environmental sustainability on the other, the story of fertilisers serves as a reminder. It reminds us of the power of innovation, the responsibility that comes with it, and the delicate balance we must maintain between progress and preservation. For all of these reasons, fertilisers is listed at number 47 on my list of the greatest inventions of all time.